Section 5 of Sir Francis Drake by Julian Corbett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 3. The Mule Trains, Part 1. To the Spaniards that sight could only be a sign that the redoubtable rover had left the coast. The truth was far otherwise. On the western shore of the Gulf of Darien, a little natural harbour, which through the ages had been undisturbed, was suddenly teeming with busy life. Its primeval silence was awakened with the jolly laugh of the bellows, the ring of the anvil, and the snap of the axe, and the monkeys watched with worried air the mysteries of bulls and coits and archery in all the pastimes of an English May-day fair. A wide stretch of forest growth had given place to rows of leafy cottages, and by the shore a little dockyard waked the echoes with unceasing clatter. It was another Puerto Escondido which Drake had discovered, and here, far from the ken of Spaniards, with alternate days of work and play, he was refreshing his men and refitting his squadron. They called the place Port Plenty, for from hence they swept the sea of every passing victualler and added the captured cargoes to the stores of game and fish it was their delight to catch. At intervals along the coast and amongst the wilderness of islands, magazines were hidden, and into these were poured the stores that had been destined for great plate fleets. The shark-like pinnaces would suddenly appear in the midst of the trade route, no one knew whence, and laden with food as suddenly disappear no one knew whither. Even the solitudes of the far Magdalena River beyond Cartagena were startled with the splash of English oars, and ere resistance could be made, the storehouses on its banks were swept clean, and all was silence once more. It was on his return journey from this expedition that Drake learnt the first step toward the new exploit was accomplished. With the help of Diego, the negro who had joined at Nombre de Dios, John Drake had succeeded in establishing communication with the Maroons. While the Spaniards were straining their eyes seawards, Drake was quietly preparing to seize King Philip's gold behind their backs as it left the gates of Panama. To this wild project the assistance of the Maroons was essential, and the first negotiations convinced him how eager they were to help. But they had to assure him that nothing could be done till the dry season, for during the rains no gold was conveyed by land. Weary months must elapse before the blow could be struck, months of inaction, which in that terrible climate Drake knew was his greatest enemy. Everything was done to mitigate the evil. The Maroons showed them a new and more convenient harbour than their last, somewhere, it would seem, amongst the shoremost isles of the Muletas. Here, within a network of reefs, the vessels were snugly ensconced, and with the eager help of the Maroons a great fort of timber built. In October, leaving his brother John as governor of his little kingdom, Drake, with two of the pinnaces, sailed once more for the main in search of intelligence. For more than a month every kind of bravado was indulged in, partly, it may be, from a boyish delight in putting indignities on his enemy, and partly from a sagacious purpose of keeping up the hearts of his men. For in Francis Drake, as in some hero of saga, reckless high spirits and a far-sighted wariness seemed ever contending for mastery he gathered fruit in the gardens of santiago de tolu 
he cut out vessels from the very mouth of the spanish guns he rode out two gales in the harbour of cartagena itself he jumped ashore in the face of the garrison to show how cheaply he held the arms of spain and yet with a skill and judgment beyond his years he eluded every attempt to capture him by force or fraud and through sickness and hunger through exposure and disappointment he maintained his men in such a state of cheerful obedience as had perhaps never before been seen and now as though to teach the world what heroic fortitude what a depth of patient resistance lay beneath the tumultuous surface misfortune came upon him apace he returned to find his brother dead in spite of his orders captain john drake had been taunted by one a little more insane than the rest to attack with no better arms than a rapier and an old firelock a frigate full of spanish musketeers it was certain death and both of them fell at the first discharge the whole company were overwhelmed with grief for the loss of a man whose brave and loyal nature seemed destined to fill a place but little lower than his brother's it was their first reverse and it came at an untimely moment it was now december the rains were ceasing next month the plate fleet would arrive from spain the gold would begin to move and the time for their daring land journey was drawing near it was necessary that they should keep perfectly quiet till the trusty maroons brought them news that the fleet had come in painful inaction therefore they had to bide their time while each day the heat increased as the dry season set in and pestilence steamed from the sodden soil december dragged wearily to its end and with the dying year the vitality of the men ebbed fast away in the poisonous atmosphere with the first days of the year fifteen seventy three ten men dropped in a raging fever and in a few hours half the company was down death succeeded death and the surgeons were helpless joseph drake was seized amongst the rest and expired in his brother's arms then drake arose as valiant against the ghostly enemy that was mastering him as he ever showed himself an open fight burdened as he was with the horrors of that fever-stricken den and revolting and inhuman as the bare idea of dissection then was he resolved to violate the sanctity of his own brother's corpse to save the rotting remnants of his company the weight of prejudice and tender sentiment he had to fling aside to us is hardly conceivable but the memory of it seems to send a shudder through the chronicler as years after he told the tale it was the first and last experiment he exclaimed that our captain made of anatomy in this voyage it was the end of january before the maroon scouts reported that the fleet had put into nombre de dios a pinnace was at once dispatched to test their fidelity and it returned with a victual frigate whose captive crew and passengers confirmed the negro's intelligence all was now bustle and excitement of the seventy-three souls who left plymouth eight months ago but four and forty now remained half of these were too fever-stricken to march and some sound men it was necessary to leave behind to tend the sick and guard the prisoners from the fury of the maroons eighteen were all that could be spared for the adventurous journey and on shrove tuesday february third they plunged into the forest with thirty maroons in company on the third day they reached a stronghold of their allies where they were overwhelmed with hospitalities and offers of assistance 
but drake would not tarry or accept any increase in his force yet his heart was none the less moved with their simple kindness and with pity when he saw them making a fetish of the cross his earnest protestantism would not suffer him to leave them in such a slough of sin nor did he depart till he had persuaded them to cast away their fetish and in its stead had taught them like children to say the lord's prayer and fed them with some scraps of the old navy chaplain's divinity then with his heart lifted to heaven he strode on once more to spoil god's enemies their march had now begun in earnest not a word was spoken with all the breathless caution of the chase they followed their strange familiars up the forest-clad spurs of the cordilleras a mile ahead four guides felt their way as it seemed by magic through the sunless forest and marked the track with broken boughs twelve more maroons headed the little column and twelve more formed its rear-guard in the midst with the two black chiefs marched the englishmen to them it was like some enchanted land their devoted friends would not suffer them to carry the lightest burden and at their ease they crept along the trail in silent wonder the miraculous instinct of their guides the beast-like skill with which the hunters killed their game the fascination of the endless silence the wealth of luscious fruit the prodigies of vegetation the wonderland of birds all mingling confusedly with the half-forgotten thought of the wild adventure before them it was enough to make their lives seem turned to fairy tales without the vision that was at hand on the fourth day after leaving the stronghold the spot on which every thought was bent had been attained it was at the summit of the range high upwards rose a giant of the forest and in its arms was a leafy bower drake first ascended and sank awestruck upon his knees first of all englishmen he was gazing on the golden sea before him spread the unmeasured mystery of the pacific at his back rolled the old atlantic his heart was overflowing so moses gazed upon the promised land and like a good crusader he humbly besought almighty god of his goodness to give him life and leave to sail once in an english ship in that sea so he descended and told them of his prayer and before them all john oxenham his lieutenant vowed that unless the captain did beat him from his company he would follow him by god's grace the secret of that fabled ocean whose very name for two centuries thereafter never failed to inflame the imaginations of high and low with dreams beyond the extravagance of alchemy was a secret no more jealously as spain had veiled the south sea's beauty drake had seen her face and athirst with desire he began the perilous descent to panama in two days the shelter of the forest ceased the open country increased their danger every hour on valentine's day the magnificent roadstead of panama with its burden of gold ships opened before them and now the peril of discovery became acute fearing at every step to be surprised by some fowler from the city they broke into twos and threes and so by different routes crept like lynxes through the giant grass till a grove a league outside the gates gave them a semblance of security here beside the nombre de dios road they lay concealed and rested while a spy was sent in disguise into the city to get news of the movements of the gold trains 
drake had hardly finished from the skirts of the grove a hazardous reconnaissance of the city against the time when god should grant his prayers than the spy returned bursting with news two large mule trains laden with victuals and silver were getting ready to start in the market-place and in front of them that night was to travel no less a man than the treasurer of lima himself on his way to spain with eight mule loads of gold and one of jewels End of section five.